0: Have you ever wondered where all the time has gone? Yeah? Yeah, me too. Have you ever um, felt like there just wasn't enough time in the day to get everything done? Yeah? Two for two. Have you ever felt like there was just too much to do? Not enough time to do it? Yeah. Uh, You know, time just seems to disappear on us. I mean, I could stand here and wonder, how is it the last week of October 2015 already? It just seems like the year started, and here we are, uh, Conversation and staff meeting has been centered around Advent and Christmas and all those sorts of plans, and it just doesn't seem like we should be there yet. Time just flies away from us. Um, If you think about our society, uh, work hours are up across the board, and stress would you say that's up across the board in society? Work hours and stress are, are both increasing in our society. And and I think that uh, sleep and family time and rest, recreation, are they're diminishing. We don't find that we have as much time to in- invest in those activities if we're trying to get ahead. Um, I mean, if you look at how our society is organized, I mean, there's... Businesses and restaurants and superstores that are open around the clock 24 hours a day so that uh, You can capitalize on every moment to spend your hard-earned dollars I mean we we spend more so that we can have more uh, Which if we're doing that means we have to work more hours uh, to earn more dollars to keep this cycle going and, and at some point, something's got to give. It's just a vicious cycle. At some point, there's going to there's gonna be a crash. And uh, I, I was reading a psalm this week. If you have your Bibles, it's a, pretty much a one-verse text today. And this is in the middle of Psalms, and, but it is a, one that is a prayer of Moses. Psalm 90, verse 12 Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That's our text. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, what do you think it means to number your days? Have you thought about that? Is that like one, two, three, four, numbering and that? sense? Is it, um, is numbering our days meaning that we function by a calendar? So we organize January, February, March, 2015, 16, and so on. Is that numbering? Is it, um, that we use a, a planner? You know, the old day timers, uh, or maybe it's on your device now that you interact with an electronic calendar, um, mm-hmm and you can track your events and appointments and lists and all sorts Is that numbering our days? Tracking the time that we spend doing things. Have you ever thought about how much time you actually spend doing things? That's what the little pink survey is helping us to do is to actually put something on paper. Like, wow, I spend this much time. So I, I was curious just in general this week And I thought maybe you'd like these statistics on how the average person spends their time. So, we on average spend about 25 years of our lives sleeping. That's, you know, eight hours a day or so. Some more, some less, but right around 25 years. And while I was finding that statistic, there were a couple others I just had to share. Uh, Didn't you know the cat? Sleeps 15 hours a day. (laughs) Things you learn in church. (laughs) Giraffe. Giraffes only sleep two hours a day. Yes, crazy. And the dolphin. Seven hours of sleep a day. Like, wow, that's pretty. You know, who tracks that? Who gets paid to do that? Somebody. Ten and a half years of your life you spend working. Uh, 9 to 11 years. I, there were some mixed statistics in this category. 9 to 11 years watching television. Two years of that is watching commercials. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, you spend about one year waiting in line. Drives me nuts. I do not like waiting in, in all its fashions. Uh, you spend 20 weeks of your life waiting on hold on the telephone. Uh, you spend 38,000 hours eating in the course of your life. Enjoyable time, right there, right? <laughs> six hours or, or six years doing chores and housework. You spend one and a half years in the bathroom. <laughs> Guys, you'll like this one. You spend 92 days sitting on the toilet. You know, (laughs) um, office workers, you spend five years sitting at a desk, and uh, two years sitting in meetings. Uh, I don't like that one either. Eight months opening junk mail. (laughs) Can I give you a hint? Redeem that time for good. Six months you spend at stoplights, and you spend one whole year of your life looking for things that you've misplaced. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple weeks ago, we did the, the little orange paper survey, and we were talking um, or asking about how much time do you spend um, reading your Bible? How much time do you spend exercise. Uh, exercising, things like that, and so on average, those who responded, uh, was 21 minutes a day reading your Bible, 26 minutes a day, uh, exercising, and so the average person in this room during your lifetime will spend almost a year reading your Bible, so if you compare, you spend more time looking for things you've lost, <laughs> that's why we're measuring these things, so we can improve, right, um, and in, the, uh, in your lifetime, you will average just over a year exercising. Um, so the goal with the Faith Bit series is to take a very objective look at what we do and think about ways, strategize, uh, how do we get better in the good things and how do we eliminate things that... You know, may not be healthy for us. And so we talked about health, we, you know, we seek to exercise more, eat healthier foods, uh, stop eating unhealthy foods. Uh, we talked uh, about money and resources and possessions for a couple weeks, and we, you know, we were concentrating on um, spending our dollars wisely, um, becoming more and more generous with the things that we have, living kind of open-handedly and and um, spreading our, sharing our resources with others who, who may need them. And these are both things that you can measure. They're not subjective. These are very objective things. And the same is true of our time. Um, we can spend more hours doing things that are productive and God-glorifying and people-loving, and we can spend less time on trivial and unimportant things. Um, if you take, if you boil all of those statistics down, uh, the picture is that on the average day, we have four or five hours of time that's totally at our discretion. And we spend a certain number of hours sleeping, we spend a, a fairly fixed number of hours working, you know. Um, to provide for our needs, and we spend a fairly fixed amount of time uh, eating and caring for ourselves. So those things, you know, you, you have some control over, but those are pretty much a given. So what's left is, you know, four or five hours a day that you have is discretionary time. And the question is, how, how do you use those in the best way? Um, the concept of time is a uh, is central to our busy lives, so so much so that we often feel like we're slaves to our clocks, we're slaves to our calendars. Um, we refer to being so busy, uh, we don't have time for certain things, we just can't pack one more thing into our calendar. Uh, we complain often that we don't even get a moment for ourselves. Um, but not only that, we're constantly reminded that the time just keeps marching on, it moves forward. And once it's gone, time is not renewable, it's irretrievable. You know, money in some essence, uh, you, can, you can work more and you can, you can re- replenish your financial reserve. Y- you can't replenish your time reserve. Time is one of those things that, you know, this moment will never be, will never gain that moment back. Um, I was on the phone this week. You know, some of those 20 months or however long we spend on hold. Yeah, I, got, I logged some of that time this week. I was on the phone with the Washington Health Plan Finder. I've told you about my interaction with them before. Not much of it's that positive, So uh, there was a question because it's coming renewal time and plans change, costs rise. I had some questions. I called the number that they suggested that I call. You know, 30 minutes I was on hold or being passed around from person to person. Finally, somebody said, you know, you're not even calling the right phone number. (laughs) It's the one printed on the mailer. That's 30 minutes of my life. I will never get back again. You have moments like that, right? David, Brother David, authored many of our Psalms. Psalm 3115, he says, or he acknowledges that all his time is in God's hands. And I I think what David is trying to do is he's trying to make a positive statement here uh, in relation to thinking about the minutes, and seconds, and hours, and years of, of his life. He he sits back, and he thinks about his interaction with, with God, and I, I think that he's come to the realization that all his times is, is in God's hand. It's a positive statement, and he recognizes it as a security, as a comfort to know that. It it even provides him a little bit of rest, knowing that his, his time is in God's hands. I mean, God in, is the one who invented time. Uh, with the rising and the setting of the sun, uh, it helps make sense of our earthly reality with uh, morning and night. and We organize our thoughts and our activities in a, in a very linear fashion, um, But God operates totally outside of our concept of time. Uh, All of human time, from from the very beginning until sometime in the future, at the very end of of human time, is all surrounded by the reality that God is. So, it's hard to picture. It's It's one of those circuit breakers of, Our human brains that we just don't get it. So maybe a a fun image would be helpful. So if you imagine uh, a huge beach ball, I mean, as big a beach ball as you can imagine, that's the sphere of God. Okay. So huge beach ball. And then if you take one uncooked spaghetti noodle, you know, it's a line. And it's suspended in the middle of that sphere. That's kind of uh, how you could picture human time in relation to God. All of human time is the spaghetti noodle in this big, huge beach ball of God. We, We are just in there. So God is, and we operate totally in there. And David realizes this. And he finds comfort in it. And I think that he realizes that every moment counts time moves forward and he needs to make every uh, take advantage of, of every moment uh, of his time that every moment that he has every breath that he takes is is a gift of god that he is charged with being a steward of that every moment that we have we are good stewards, should be used to honor God and use our time for his purposes and for his glory. And so our text this morning, Moses gets it too. In in all of the years that Moses led the people of Israel, he was constantly barraged with human problems. And so he had to figure out how to use his time so that he could manage people because he was the judge, and people would bring their problems with each other to him, and he would have to rule and to decide. And, and finally there came to a point, I think it was his father-in-law Jethro said, hey, you got to do a better job at this, buddy, because, you know, the line is backing up, and people are getting a little perturbed that it's taking too long to get their cases heard, so you need to appoint some people that can help you out with this. Moses had to learn the value of time and figure out strategies to manage it. He had to seek... God for wisdom on how to use his time. See, wh- what we do with our time matters. It doesn't matter just to us, but God cares about how we spend our time. We are responsible for managing the time that we've been allotted, and, and God gives us time as a gift, and he has certain expectations uh, of how we will use our time. But as humans, we do have the freedom to choose whether we will use our time for good or choose our, use our time for uh, bad. We can cherish time, or we can neglect it. We can hoard our time, uh, or we can share it. We can invest our time, or we can squander and, and waste it away, and idleness and things like that whatever we decide though, we need to remember that we will be held accountable for how we manage and use our time Uh, there's a couple things that you need to note about time is um, you can't stop it you can't stop time there are, there's no time outs in life so like when the Hawks get to fourth and goal from the one, they can call a timeout and strategize, get a breather, right? Play clock stops, they have time. You, you can't do that with your life. Time just keeps going on. The second thing is you can't save time. There's no time bank. There's no place where you can go and make a deposit of time that you can draw on in some future time to use. There's no way that you can save time. You see people trying to be more efficient thinking they're saving time by multitasking, um, cutting corners here and there. Fast food restaurants make it really easy so that you can eat in your car on the way to something uh, to improve your efficiency. We have cell phones and Devices like that that help us stay communicated or, you know, if I'm going to commute to work one hour, I might as well use that hour to talk with mom or the office or somebody. Uh, um, I've seen guys shaving in the car, ladies putting on makeup in their car, you know, every way we can think of. Uh, this week, this one's a little over the top. Uh, I was driving down I-5, and there's a guy reading the newspaper. (laughs) Where's Neil when you need him? (laughs) Pull that guy over. If that's you, I'm sorry and no offense. Just don't do that, please. Um, You can be more efficient, but you can't save time. Uh, And you can't stretch time. Uh, There's 24 hours in a day for everybody. It doesn't matter who you are, everybody's allotted the same exact amount of time, 24 hours in a day. Nobody is slighted in, in this, um, and we're all on a level playing field when it comes to the amount of time we have, and, and the other thing is, you, in stretching time, there's no rollover minutes in life, so you don't get to the end of the month and, you know, have this little, oh yeah, I didn't use all my minutes, so I'm going to use them in this next, there's, no, you can't stretch time out in that way. Moses says in, in our text, um that we pay attention to our time. We number our days so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. When when we recognize that our time is limited, when we recognize that the number of our days is limited, we begin to understand and acknowledge that really as humans, we're, we're rather frail. As strong as we think we are, we're frail beings. Our time is going to expire, run out. That, that the, the very nature of being human is that there's a, there's a limit. Um, and I think when we realize that, that's a, that in and it of itself is a step towards wisdom. Acknowledging that at some point there's going to be a moment of, of finality which causes us then to think of well, how am I using this moment right now? Being wise with our time means that we, we run the decisions about how we spend our time through the filter of, of Scripture and, and prayer. Laying our time before God, seeking His guidance and counsel by reading our Bibles, and spending time in prayer with our Maker to see what he would have to say uh, on how we use our time. And, and as I've been reading scripture, I think that, that the Bible categorizes time in, really in two ways. Um, and the two ways are work and rest. Um, work, vocation, job, career. Work, serving other people. Um work sharing Jesus love with other people rest we sometimes use the word sabbath taking a breather sabbath comes from god who created i mean the, the first the, the first chapter of our bible talks about god working six days he worked and then he took the seventh day as a day of rest That's the first thing that we run into in scripture on how we would use our time is using God's model. So Sabbath, rest, recreation, time of worship. The key for us as stewards is figuring out how do we balance between work and rest. That's the key. Uh, And both work and rest are honored by God. God affirms both of them. Uh, God's work is shown and continually demonstrated in his work of creation. Creation isn't finished. God is continually creating. And so as his created beings, we are to pattern our work after God's. We work like God works. Uh, And when we gain a proper perspective on our work, um, we We get that proper perspective when when we align our work with the purposes of God, so when when our work is centered around his then then we begin to to understand it. Um, see when we have a misplaced view of our work, uh, that happens when our focus shifts inward instead of looking at God and how our peace fits in his piece we look at our work and we look at it from a, a personal selfish kind of perspective and, and, and when this happens we are worried about how we're going to make ends meet our work then is when it's focused inward is well, how, do I, how do I put in more hours how do I make more money so that I can get more stuff and, and, and so it's very inward focused um And and when it's inward focused, then that's when we start saying things like, there's not enough time in the day to get all the work done. We may have that sense that, man, this is meaningless. I mean, I work so hard and I, I never can get caught up. Well, what are you trying to catch up to? If it's something that you're trying to build for your own personal security, well, you know, you may get the sense that your work is meaningless, that it's all done in vain. See, work can be taken to an extreme. God affirms work. He wants us to align our work around his and his purposes. Um, But humans have the tendency to take a selfish approach. And and so when, when this happens, work can go to an extreme negative in an unhealthy way. And we might call it workaholism. People who are workaholics, who never can lay down their work and take moments of rest. Um, in our Bible, there's a couple stories. Um, one of them is found in Genesis chapter 11. We tell the story of um, the early civilizations, and um, God had given the explicit instructions to to spread out over the entire earth, fill it. And some of the early civilizations, uh, we it's. The heading in the, this chapter, Genesis 11, is the Tower of Babel. Well, humans, they thought, you know what? We don't want to spread out all over. We like it right here. And you know what? We're going to make a, make a tower up into the heavens. And what they were trying to do is work so hard that they could circumvent God's plan. We're going to do it our way. And so they worked and worked and worked to try and build this tower so that they could uh, become like God. But then there's another story. If you've been following in your core guides over these last couple of weeks, you probably read it. It's in Luke chapter 12. This guy who was blessed with huge, abundant crops. And he harvested them, and he, he filled all the storehouses. And he didn't have enough place to store all of his bounty. So instead of, you know, sharing it never occurred to him at all. Giving it to people who don't have it never occurred to him. What he wanted to do was, hey, I don't have enough place to store all this. I I need to go get another storage unit. So he he tore down all of his barns and he built newer, bigger ones. This guy couldn't rest at all. He he continually tried to work harder and harder and harder to build up that security around him. And I think that... This is a risk that we run in our society. We're often valued by our output. We're, we're our worth in many cases is determined by the amount or the quality of our work. That the more that we invest, uh, the more that we're valued. Uh, people walk around and use their the number of their overtime hours is kind of like a badge of honor because our society has placed a high value in your work ethic being demonstrated through your willingness to put in extra time. And workaholics typically work to exhaustion, and it's really a recipe for disaster, both physically and spiritually. There's really been a change in our society uh, that... That work has gone from something that supports our life um, and one's family, but now work really defines who you are in many circles of our society. Work used to be the means by which um, you supported your family, and now it seems like work is the benchmark. That's primary. And then family, and recreation, and hobbies, and and all sorts of things. They're just the add-ons. That's the icing on, on the cake. And, and when we measure ourselves according to that standard, it's not... I, I really understand why people, some people feel like they're worthless. Because it's hard to measure up to that standard in society. And it's always increasing. Increasing. Workaholism can be an indicator that work has become an idol in your life. And idolatry is putting anything in the place where God should be in your life. And our society, at an ever-increasing pace, is pushing us to make work our idol in an unhealthy way. Well, the other, there's work uh, as a way of looking at time in the Bible. There's also rest, Sabbath. And God rested after his creative work. Um, and when we look at Jesus' ministry, he often pulled his disciples away from their work to rest and to pray and to refuel. And uh, in Mark chapter 6, verse 31, he says, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest we see the picture of Jesus pulling away to go and pray. Oftentimes, you know, maybe they're in a boat going across the Sea of Galilee. I I remember one place in, uh, I think it's Matthew chapter 16, Jesus has taken the disciples on a discipleship retreat up to Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi is a very lush, green resort kind of an area if you want to have that picture in your mind it sits at the base of Mount Hermon and Mount Hermon uh, typically is snow covered year-round and so there's always water that's that's running down and so it's a very green um, area and Jesus takes his disciples up there to to get away from the regular routines of their ministry and they have time to clear their thoughts clear their minds pray, spend time just with each other and with Jesus to uh, replenish their um, energy and and it's it's here at this place where Jesus poses the question, who do people say I am? And the disciples first answer whoa, whoa, this is retreat Jesus, I didn't think we have to work. Uh, Well some people say, you know, you're kind of like Elijah or one of the other prophets and I think Jesus recognized that they're, that they're in a place where they can have a moment of clarity in this time of rest. And he says, but who do you say I am? And Peter has been able to back away from his ministry enough and think about it enough to say, you're the Messiah. Maybe it was a light bulb moment for Peter by having those moments of rest, of Sabbath, time away with Jesus and and with his fellow disciples, just to have some fun and, and relaxation, that there's a moment of clarity, and Jesus says, do you know who I am? And Peter said, yeah, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And Jesus said, yes, you're right. It's important to take time for rest. And relaxation but even in that there's there's an extreme of rest that can be taken to a negative uh, as well because the 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 negative of rest is that we become slothful um, lazy maybe apathetic is in there. Paul addresses this uh, to the church in Thessalonica. He noticed, or he got a report that there were some freeloaders in their midst, that you know, they were people who you know, joined up with the believers and, well, they thought, hey, you know what? We're Christ followers now. Jesus died and he was risen again and my sins are forgiven. I can just sit back and wait for him to return. And all of these Christians around us, they're just going to meet my every need. And Paul got angry about that. That's the text in our Bibles where, you know, he, where Paul says, you know what, you, you know, you've got to work to eat. And if the people want to be part of your fellowship, then they're going to, they can't be lazy. They have to invest time and effort and energy and work. Otherwise, they're just taking advantage of you, and, and don't let them do that. So there is a negative uh, extreme to rest, and it's laziness and slothfulness. You know, another one that, that you could... Uh, put in there that laziness leads to a sense of entitlement where, you know, I don't, I don't have to work because, well, I live in this particular side and people owe me this. And so I don't really have to work for it. I, I, I just can sit back and wait for somebody else to provide it for me. And that's the negative extreme of, of rest here. But Sabbath is an important concept for us to learn to manage and to build into our regular routines. Um, it's it's one day a week where we set aside the and we resist the tyranny of, of work and, and we celebrate with God and with other people. And so, so I was thinking this week, we need to find a balance then between work and rest so that we don't go to either negative extreme, but we we figure out what the fine line is between these two concepts of time in in our scripture. And the text that uh, Lois read for us from Ephesians 5, 15 to 17, a little bit earlier, um, it it starts to drive at balancing the two. Uh, Some of the balance comes in how we manage our time, and Paul tells us that we need we need to walk wisely. We need to walk wisely so that we can make the best use of our time. Can I give you a quick Greek lesson this morning? Would that be all right? There, there are, there's two Greek words that the New Testament uses to talk about time. One of them, you'll, you'll, hear, you'll hear it as uh, chronos. We get the word, you know, like chronology or chronometer, which is a watch out of that. And there's kairos. And I think kairos is one Greek word that everyone ought to know and think about regularly. Um, chronos time, chronology, means uh, literal minutes and seconds. Uh, think of a clock or, or the length of time that it takes to something. It's a measurement of time. Uh, Kairos, though, implies a different use of, uh, or a different understanding of time. It's, it's much less literal in nature, but it's more significant time. Uh, it emphasizes the quality of time. Kronos, quantity of time. Kairos, quality of time. Kairos suggests the time of possibility. Moments in our day or our week or our month or our lifetime, moments that define us. Moments of of opportunity. You know when there's a moment of opportunity that's in front of you. Maybe it's talking with your neighbor who you've never been able to share your faith in Jesus with and, and just at some moment you just sense that there's an opportunity, a question they ask situation they're dealing with that you could either pray for them or share with them these are moments of opportunity kairos time ephesians five sixteen, make the best use of kairos make the best use of your time Speaking of using your time for good, using your time for quality moments, using your time for growth, investing in other people, make them, make the most and best use of your time because the days are evil is what Paul says here, and I think that he's trying to emphasize the fact that there's demands that are pulling us in every direction, that there's so many things that we're being asked to use our time for and to invest in, and Paul is saying, step back from all of that He's referring to to evil. Step back from all of the unhealthy ways in which you are being asked to use of your time and invest it in the right things. Invest it in the right moments where there's opportunity. Paul's encouraging us to redeem time by being wise, by using uh, every opportunity before time passes by and it's too late. Use your time to honor God, to glorify God. Use your time to share his love with other people. Have you ever heard the phrase, time flies? Time flies? In Greek mythology, when Kronos and Kairos, both of them, referring to time. In Greek mythology, when, when those two pictures of time are personified in art, They always have wings. Time flies. If you you go a little bit further, uh, it's more striking that in many of the pictures, uh, and it looks a little peculiar and bizarre, but time, when it's personified in art, has wings but long facial hair and like bushy hair, like right here, but it stops right, like, kind of like mine. It stops right about here, <laughs> and it's like bald and shaved in the back. And the picture in some of the art is that as time is approaching you, if you were to reach out and grasp, you could grab time by the facial hair or their hair and, and hang on to it, grasp time. But once time goes by, there's, there's nothing to grasp. It's a striking image, I mean, but it tells the story, doesn't it? That once time goes by, there's no getting it back. You can't grab the moment once it's gone. You can't capitalize on a kairos moment by saying, you know what, I'll get around to it, because that moment may never present itself again. And Paul is saying, be wise in your use of time. You need to catch those moments as they're coming at you. Pay attention. And when you see a kairos moment, Step into it. Take advantage of it. Well, Jesus was a master at that, wouldn't you say? We never get this picture of Jesus in the Gospels that he was hurried or worried about anything. Jesus just kind of walked through life and he walked into situations and he had a really good grasp of what was in front of him and he took those moments and redeemed them for God's glory. He was always going about his father's business. And uh, Jesus had time for people. One of the stunning pictures of how Jesus used his time are the many places where it says that Jesus took time out for the children. Because in those days, the mortality rate was low. I mean, you know, it wasn't highly likely that many kids would live into adulthood. And so the view in those days was you know you didn't really have to pay too much attention to the kids and jesus was always saying no these are kairos moments these are moments that will shape their life and their future let them come to me how are you using your time is is the question how am i using my time the past is gone there's no guarantees for tomorrow. It's only this present moment, right now, that we have to deal with. And for many people, living in the here and the now is, it's really hard. It's really difficult. Our minds race backwards and forwards into the future, and and, uh, when we are pressed for time, we, I don't know if you're, maybe you're different than me, but when I'm pressed for time, I'm always thinking about what's next. And there's many times where I just need to sit down, pause, and say, no, this is a moment that God has given me right now. I don't need to worry about what's next. It will take care of itself. I need to pay attention and and be fully present and aware for who's here right now, for this moment. But we have, as humans, we struggle with that. Because when, when we're pressed, we feel like we have to rush through life, and so we're constantly, you know, maybe looking at our device, oh, what's my next appointment, or we have our reminder set, and, you know, our pockets buzz, or the little thing goes on our screen, or we want to look at our paper calendar or our to-do list to see, okay, well, once I'm done with this, where, what are, where am I running off to? And, and you get this picture of people who are constantly running late for things because, you know, one thing doesn't takes a little bit more time, and the next one, and you just find yourself behind and ways that we don't honor the present moment. To honor the present moment, we really have to believe, we really have to believe that what is most important is right now. Not what's coming, because that's not guaranteed. Not what's already happened. The most important thing we have is right, right now. And Henry Nowen he writes that prayer is the discipline of the moment. If you struggle with constantly thinking forward or remembering backwards, Henry Nowen suggests spend more time in prayer. Not prayer where you have to fill the space with your words, but prayer where you are silent before God and disciplining yourself to be in the moment before God. That when we pray, we we enter into the presence of God, and and we listen to the one who is, he's with us, God with us. And God addresses us in the here and now, Henry now, and he says this, when we dare to trust that we are never alone, but that God is always with us, always cares for us, and always speaks to us, then... We can gradually detach ourselves from the voices that make us guilty or anxious and thus allow ourselves to dwell in the present moment. This is a very hard challenge because radical trust in God is not obvious. Most of us think God, think of God as a fearful, punitive authority or as an empty, powerless nothing. And Jesus' core message was that God is neither a powerless weakling nor a powerful boss but one who loves. To pray then is to listen to that voice of love. So, how, how, do we, how do we wrap all of this up? How do we figure out a balance between work and rest? How do we become wise stewards of our time so that we can gain a heart of wisdom? And, I I thought maybe a top ten list would be appropriate. Maybe it's not the top ten because there's there's several things that that I thought of that could easily be on this list, but I wrote down ten tips to manage your time as a Christian. And one of the questions for all of the core groups to discuss this week is to narrow, narrow it down to five or come up with five as your group of 10 tips that you could work on to manage your time. So here's here's the 10 that I put down. Put God first. Seek to know God and do his will. That's number 1. Put God first. Number 2. Build time for prayer. Build it into your schedule. Bible reading, prayer, worship, those things. Number 3. Focus on the permanent, not the temporary. The bigger question of time management is not always about practical efficiency, uh, but it's really the measure of spiritual effectiveness. Uh, We shouldn't idle our time away by doing things which really don't have any eternal value, but spend our time, um, the, the time that God has given us, in ways that will make the greatest impact on eternity. Seek first the kingdom, those things kingdom living. So, number three, focus on the permanent, not the temporary. Number four, find the right priorities. Think, plan, and evaluate daily. There was a picture that I read this week of a time management um, professional. He, did, he does speeches, and he was talking to a class of, of students, and he had this big glass jar, and he, he, uh, he filled the jar with like seven or eight big rocks, It filled it up to the top. And he asked the class, Is the the jar full? And they said, Yes. So then he took a a jar of smaller pebbles and he poured the whole jar into the first jar with the big rocks. And they found their way through the cracks and the big rocks. And he said, Was the jar full? And they said, Yes. Well, then he took a jar of sand. He poured the whole jar of sand in into the original jar and the sand funneled its way down and filled it up and he said is the jar full and all of them yeah he couldn't put any more in there he took a jar of water poured the whole jar of water in there and it filled it up and he asked him what the lesson on time management was and you know they had some mixed responses but the the one that came out over all the others was that um well you can always fit more into your schedule. (laughs) That's what the students came up with, and he said, no. The lesson for time management is knowing which big rocks to put in first. God, family, you, you know, you come up with your seven but you need to get those rocks in first and everything else will be packed in around them because if you were to fill it up with the sand and the water and the little pebbles, you'd never get the big rocks into that jar. So find the right priorities. Number five, invest your time in people. Give yourself away by giving time. Last week I said give some cash away this week. Um, This week, I want you to give yourself away. Give some time. Give some energy. Give some affection to somebody who needs it. It doesn't have to be highly planned. It doesn't have to be costly. But giving a few moments or a few hours here and there in the right kairos moment will make a huge difference in somebody's life. Number six, eliminate the unimportant. Realize that you can't do everything. There's things that you have to say no to. Focus on the important not just the urgent. Uh, Number seven, take responsibility for your time. Work diligently and for the Lord. There's work and rest. Take Sabbath. Build it into your schedule. Number eight, build margin into your life. You know what margin is? When we're talking about time, margin is the space between your load and your limit. So all of the responsibilities, all the scheduled appointments, everything that you're trying to keep up with in your life that's on your calendar, that's your, that's your load, and, and the difference between your load and your limit, you need to have some margin built into your life. Number nine, avoid procrastination. Live as if today were your last. And number ten, choose love in every moment. Martin Luther King, he said that, um, we must use our time creatively forever realizing that the time is always right to do right. So number 10, choose love in every moment. Well, there is a clock and I will honor it. So Tom, if you want to come up and, with your team and we're going to sing a song here as we close. But I, I just wanted to remind you of our text. That Moses, he says, his prayer is, God, teach us. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to pay attention to all of our moments that come before us. Teach us to think about how we use the time that God has blessed us with. Teach us, Lord, all of these things to number our days so that so that we can have a heart, that we can gain a heart of wisdom, that we can take the moments, the kairos moments, and we can use them to influence other people, to share your love with them, and to honor and glorify your name. The people of God said, amen.